Hey, before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option. You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, the world's best podcast on cybersecurity marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitford, along with my co-host, Maria Velasquez. And we're so excited to have Breezy Beaumont here today. Breezy is the head of growth at Correlated, which is a technology company that deals in something we're all very interested in, which is product-led growth. She's on to talk about how product-led growth applies to cybersecurity companies. So we're so excited to have you on, Breezy. Thank you. I can't believe I made it onto this world-famous podcast, and I am super excited to be here with both of you all. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for being on. To be grilled by us. (laughs) (laughs) To be grilled in her closet wearing her awesome t-shirt. I wish (laughs) you could see this. Yeah, there's a daft punk t-shirt. Is that right? Yes, I get this is a little bit of a play on words here for Daft Punk instead. So it's a daffodil <laughs> t-shirt. Very cool. It's a friendlier version of Daft Punk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, Breezy, give us like a one to two sentences. Like, what do you do at Correlated? What is Correlated? What do you do as head of growth? Yeah, so my role is the head of growth. So I run growth and marketing, and I also run uh, outbound SDR team here at Correlated. And then Correlated as a company, so we work with a bunch of product-led growth companies. And what we do is we help to uncover the best product-qualified leads for those folks to talk to and help automate some of that outreach in key moments. So who should you talk to? When should you talk to them? And how should you talk to them? And giving you that context for a great conversation. All right. So we're going to jump right into the intersection of PLG and cybersecurity. So I'm going to set the stage here, which is a stage that all of our listeners already know. It's a stage that they perform on daily and are intimately familiar with. But as we were saying before, cybersecurity buyers are some of the most difficult people to sell to because they're super attuned to bullshit. They hate marketing fluff. And I can generalize and be correct on this. They are typically highly technical and they're also overwhelmed with vendors trying to outreach to them because cybersecurity has so many categories and so many different types of products. You have to buy a lot of products if you're in a cybersecurity role at an enterprise or trying to protect against a lot of attacks across a very wide attack surface. So tell us about product-led growth and cybersecurity. Have you been seeing cybersecurity companies succeed with a product-led growth approach, which is relatively new? And maybe back up a little too and just explain what product-led growth is for our listeners. Yeah, I can definitely start there. So product-led growth is a little bit of an 
umbrella term for a lot of things that people are probably a little bit more familiar with. So things like a free trial or freemium, like a free tier of a product. And basically it's a way of describing any way that you can go to a website and immediately get started with a product. It's easily accessible to you. Loosely, I would say that's the definition of a product-led growth company. That being said, product-led growth is a go-to-market strategy. So it's a way of doing things internally. So you're putting your product at the forefront of everything that you're doing, which then sort of changes the way that a lot of the roles work inside of your company. And then I think when you start to think about product-led growth and the ability for people to easily get up and running in a product it seems almost at odds with cybersecurity, right? So there's like this hesitation. We have the word there at the end, security. We're worried about everything being secure. And for us to get value out of a product, we might need to put in sensitive data into that product. And so I think that's where the hesitation comes from. The interesting thing here, though, is that I would almost reckon to say that Product-led growth was born out of the idea that it's really hard to talk to some subsets of people, cough, cough, developers. <laughs> and that's where a lot of product-led growth companies were born was from the developer tool space. And very similar to the developer tool space, we run into this difficulty connecting with our end buyer persona. There's a lot of tools out there trying to get the attention of people who also might not want to actually talk to you. So there's some similarities here between the two that make it maybe pretty ripe for product-led growth, but also a little bit tricky when you're dealing with security at the same time. That's a good point. If your buyer is hesitant to engage in marketing and sales, or at least says outwardly that they're hesitant to engage or annoyed or bothered by it, if the product is good, potentially they'll engage that way. Like on the topic of product, is there anything you have to build specifically in the product to make it eligible or accessible to this more PLG-focused go-to-market strategy? Because obviously you can't just take something and be like, here's a screenshot of it. I put it on a website. Like, that's not PLG. Yeah. No, it's a mix of both humans and then the product itself. So there's this really strange, like I say strange because I just think it's bizarre that people come up with this misconception that product-led growth means you just put the product out there. People just find it, buy it on their own. You do absolutely nothing and you're just reaping the benefits financially from that. That is not at all how product-led growth works. Now, is there a path at a product-led company for someone to never talk to anyone and buy the product and upgrade themselves? Yes. And like you want to re reduce all the barriers so that they can do that and that that's possible. But the reality is that 96% of product-led growth companies have sales and marketing teams. And if you look at the most successful publicly traded product-led growth companies, all of the ones that we kind of think of as these idyllic companies that we look towards for a great product-led growth strategy, they all have massive sales and marketing and customer success teams. So the recipe for success in product-led growth is anything that you can build into the product to make it more accessible, 
reduce friction, make it easy for people to be able to upgrade, or even just thinking at those beginning steps, making it easy for people to onboard onto your product, understand what benefits they're going to get out of it. What's the output so that they're willing to put in the input to get to that end goal? As much as you can build it into the product, and as you go on as a company, you'll learn more of what these sort of like bumps are in the road for you as a company, and you want to continue to build those into the product. But at the same time, there's always kind of this human element of it. So when people are getting stuck, you want to be looking at that product usage data, understand that they're getting stuck and inserting a human into that process. So inserting, you know, someone from the sales team or the customer success team and saying like, hey, I saw you've been doing A, B and C in the product. Here's what you could be doing if you were doing D. And here's kind of like the benefits that other companies have seen. And I think one of the biggest hesitations for a lot of folks is the idea that people don't want to talk to you. And we say that about developers. We say that about cybersecurity. We pretty much anyone in any category would be like, our prospects don't want to talk to us. And I think part of the problem, though, is that they want to have a certain conversation that we're not having with them. And product-led growth gives you the context of that conversation so that you can actually have a productive conversation. I know what you've done in the product, or I can take a good guess at what it looks like you're trying to achieve. And therefore, I can actually be a helpful resource. So if I prove to you that I'm going to do that, you'll probably actually talk to me, which is sort of nice. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't know what to say to that. It's sort of like the segue into the next thing, because I just really like what you said really about is building trust in a way. Product-led growth builds trust because you can build more efficient, better relationships if you have that data and you have that context. Can you give us some examples? So like, what are some cybersecurity companies or cybersecurity use cases that you've seen work with PLG? Yeah, so there was a great market map that came out recently of the cybersecurity space and of product-led growth companies. Ross Heliac. <laughs> totally murdered that last name. I'm so sorry, Ross, but I just wanted to give you the credit that's due. And he put out a great piece. It basically broke down all these different cybersecurity companies that are in the product-led space. And I'm guessing that pretty much everyone listening to this podcast has seen it. But if you haven't, definitely go check it out. And there are PLG companies across all of cybersecurity. So everything from identity management, IoT security, data center, data protection, security ops, and everything in between. So there are product-led growth companies everywhere. Now, their strategies, their go-to-market strategies at these companies are slightly different. So they are all product-led, but some have that freemium, some have a free trial. And then there's also this sort of lighter weight version of PLG that some companies are starting to do, which is having product tours readily available on their website. I'm going to take a wild guess that those types of companies didn't make it into this list because generally when we think of PLG companies, we think of ones that are really more purely PLG. But I'd say like a lightweight PLG are these product tours. And basically what they enable you to do is almost demo yourself around a product. And so those are an interesting way for a company who feels like we really cannot be product-led for X, Y, and Z reason. It gives you the ability for people to tour themselves around your product. And you can also include some dummy data sets in there so that that sensitive data that they might need to be uploading, they wouldn't need to do. It would be readily available for them. And they can kind of poke around, start to understand what the benefits and value might be, and then be able to use that as part of their purchasing decision, which is kind of like the whole 
concept of product-led growth in my mind it's all about reducing friction in the buying process because the buying process today stinks and it especially stinks for people who don't want to talk to people that much. And if you're stuck, like you go to a website and you like fill out a 15 piece form to say, yeah, I want to have a demo. And then they send you to like the person who just started there six months ago, who's like, hold on, let me qualify you first on this 15 minute call. And then you get to the next person. Then you, and it's just like, this is insanity. So first of all, we just need to clean that up to just let people schedule their demo directly. But then second of all, giving people the ability to actually tour around a product is just common sense. We shouldn't have to put up X amount of dollars before purchasing. If you have a great product, put your great product out there in the market. This is all Amazon's fault with the whole one-click purchase. <laughs> <laughs> We're too impatient. Sounds <laughs> like Jeff Bezos. It's your fault. <laughs> so I see the value in putting your product out there. I completely see it. Like your product should stand on its own. Your product should sell on your behalf. Your product should be one of your salespeople. What do you say... And this comes up a lot in our industry. What do you say to people who say, I don't want my competition to see my product? That is such a funny one. Your competition has already seen your product. Like they have demo videos of your product flying around their Slack right now. I guarantee you. Actually, I would bet my own money on it to every single person who listens to this podcast that 100% your competitors already have access to your product. I mean, if you think about it for yourself, do you know what your competitor's products look like? Yes. <laughs> so therefore, they also know what yours looks like. And the other thing, I mean, it's an insanely competitive market out there today. And that seems like a generic statement to say, but it just has been continually getting more and more competitive. In the past, you would have one company who solved a problem, and then you had a couple companies who solve a problem. Now there's a whole swath of companies who solve every single problem. And each is trying to say they solve it slightly differently. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. But the competition is fierce. And so I'd say, first of all, your competitors are already seeing your product out there. But second of all, you want to be first to the market. You want to get that market share as, as quickly as possible. And actually, that's one of the ways to do that is with product-led growth. Actually, this is sort of an interesting use case. There is one strategy like underneath PLG that I've seen some companies take, which is in having a free tier of their product, they almost keep the free tier on for way too long. I don't know if you've experienced this with like some product that you use where basically like you're still on the free tier. And at this point, you're like, well, I would have paid for it by now, except nobody's making me pay. So I'll just keep using it for free. This is an interesting play from some companies that they use this as a way to just gain market share. So it's purposeful. They know they're giving away way too much for free. But now everyone uses it and then they can kind of switch on that monetization later on. So I think that's also a really interesting way to beat out your competitors early, Ooh. especially in this highly competitive market. But it is a little bit of a long term play. That's <laughs> definitely sneaky. Cost. I like yeah. that. It also yeah. makes it sticky, right? It makes the product sticky. So the longer you use it, the more data you have, the more things you have set up in there 
the less you want to actually take it down and use the competitor. So exactly. Like the example that keeps coming to mind for me is like, if you've built out one password or if you've built out a sauna or something like that, like you don't want to switch all of that over. That would be insanity. So yeah, totally. It's very sticky. Switching costs, keeping with my shitty vendors (laughs) for far too long. (laughs) I mean, we're recording this one week before RSA. You're totally right, though, about like the shitty vendor comment. And also like a lot of us also do that because, yeah, we might not be the happiest customers because we don't want to take everything down. It's like, yeah, I'll just put up with this shitty customer service. That's kind of how it was with me in Pardot. <laughs> We're going to have Marketo come sponsor this. Sorry, Salesforce. She just, they rebranded it. So yeah. Like, what? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I'm like, wait, what happened? What? Okay, pause on PLG. Let's talk about Pardot and rebrand. <laughs> wait, what are they? Pardot's a horrible like name. Salesforce marketing. Cloud. Oh, I like heard that. Cloud. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, <sighs> I think what happened was Salesforce marketing cloud was initially kind of like the consumer version of Parda while Parda was more B2B and a lot of B2B customers hated Parda and wanted to use the other one. So I think they listened to their customer finally. <laughs> anyway, switching back. Breezy, you talked a little bit about what the product needs to have in order for kind of this PLG strategy to work. What about the sales cycle and what about the ACV? Is there any like check boxes that need to be checked in those two categories in order for it to work or not work. Yeah. So one of the big changes between what we'll call like a traditional or sales-led company to a product-led growth company is the idea of expansion. So we've talked about land and expanding companies for a long time. It was like not a lot of people were really doing a land and expand. It was like land and then 365 days later when the contract was up, we'd be like, we got them to sign for 3% more. It's like that was the expand. But in PLG, it's all about land and expand because you might land at zero. Like you might land on the free tier or you might land on like that individual tier or small team or something like that. So expansion is a crucial piece of the puzzle or else you really won't have as much revenue. So that's one of the major swaps, which then changes sort of the way that we sell as well. So salespeople are talking to people who have already been using your product. That's a big change rather than just trying to like sell them on a pipe dream or even sell them like ahead of roadmap. (laughs) You have to sell like with your roadmap because people are using the product as you speak. And then also you're involved with that customer for a long time. So this expansion motion is constant. You stay with a customer. You don't just get someone to sign and then kind of move it over, which creates a lot of interesting back and forth between customer success and sales. As you would probably guess, they start to look very similar in product-led growth companies. And so some have chosen for customer success to own expansion, some have chosen for sales. And some companies like Snowflake have actually just decided no, we don't have any customer success people because every salesperson should be a customer success person. Every person in the entire company should be focused on customer success. So it's really interesting. It changes some of the way that those types of roles work. And then on the marketing side, because everything's interconnected here, it also changes the way that we market a little bit. So one of the main ways things you're marketing towards is getting people into the product. 
that's obviously a whole new channel and a whole new place for you to be working. The other part that's sort of like an added responsibility for marketers and product-led is the idea of product virality or like network effects. You know, when you sign up for Zoom and you want to get on a Zoom with me, then I have to use it. Now we've both used it and there's some like network effects kind of taking off from there. Same with Calendly. I like send you my Calendly or Chili Piper link and then everyone's involved. So marketers have this additional responsibility because the marketer brain is the one who's going to best understand this virality piece to work alongside the product team, giving them market feedback that they're getting, but also helping to build into the product these pieces that will help the product sort of grow itself over time. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. I love how you just are so like with the truth out here with some of the bullshit that happens. <laughs> I love that. It's like, yeah, land and expand. Yeah, you say you do that, but you really don't. <laughs> but you don't do that. Also, people have probably marketed products you've never used. That goes away. Like in product light, you will have to have used the product that you're marketing. Also, it will be easier to use the product you're marketing because it's more readily available. But like, I don't know what percentage of the market, and I might be scared to see what this stat is, of marketers that have never used the product that they've been marketing for maybe even like years at a time. That's kind of insane. (laughs) And, and, And probably not rare. In cybersecurity, yeah. because a lot of times the cybersecurity products, and you already know this, they're highly complex. They have 30-day implementation. There's a lot of sales engineers and a lot of backend stuff that we definitely don't understand. So unless you have an easy to use and understand cybersecurity product, I'm pretty sure a lot of marketers have never taken it for a ride, which is, you're right, it is scary. Yeah. I remember I used to work at a company that was in like the risk and compliance and cybersecurity space. And there was just such a steep learning curve to get to understand the product and kind of what we were doing and how we were helping folks. But once you get that flip side of the knowledge and when you're in a product-led company, it's just more likely that you're going to kind of get that flip side knowledge. It does actually make your job much easier to market because now you can, not at the same deep level of understanding, but at some level of understanding, like, oh, okay, this is what it solves. You like sort of feel it in your bones a little bit more. So I think it does give you a little bit of a step up there. But yeah, you're totally right. There's a steep learning curve. And if you're not directly feeling the issue in the first place, it's kind of hard to get in those shoes. 100%. Marketers, all marketers listening, ask for a demo environment today. Say, I want to be on the demo environment and I promise I won't change any of the settings in the demo environment, but let me click around in there. <laughs> let me clip through the screens. I need to know because I need to market this product. Breezy is 100% right. Maria is 100% right. How can you market a product you don't even know how to use? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned customer success 
What about customer marketing? Do teams have to have an official customer marketing team or one customer marketing person that's fully in charge of customer marketing (laughs) that would be a critical part of PLG being successful? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the big changes I'd say that happens in a product-led company is the data that we're working off of on both the marketing side and across the company, which is a great change that happens. In a lot of product-led companies, the entire revenue team, if not the entire team altogether, is all working off of the same data set, where we used to have these large silos and, okay, marketing uses the HubSpot data or whatever data, Marketo data. The sales team uses the Salesforce data. The This team uses whatever. And every team had, and the product team uses the product usage data in this platform. In a lot of product-led companies, because there are so many people signing up to use the product, the CRM becomes not necessarily the best place to store all of this data. So the CRM kind of no longer becomes our source of truth. And instead, we're seeing a lot of companies shift towards the data warehouse becoming their source of truth. And the reason for me starting this as a way to answer your question is because it changes the data that we're using, but it also makes everyone in the company on the same page about what's going on. So when you're using the data warehouse as the source of truth, we have access to all the things we normally would in our CRM. And so you have who are we talking to? What company are they from? What size of company is that? But you're also getting access and correlated as a tool that's also helping to get teams access to this, but you're also getting access to, okay, what did they actually do in our product? How many people at that company are using our product? Which features are they using or not using? What results have they seen from using it? Blah, 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 blah. And by having this data, it changes the way that we can do our customer marketing as well, because we're having really informed customer marketing conversations. We're saying, I know that you use us in this format, And therefore, we can have a conversation more specifically about that. Or I know that you're using features A, B, and C. And if you're doing customer marketing in a format of trying to get expansion or something like that, then you can use that data to understand, okay, here's where they might also benefit and do some targeted campaigns and outreach and things like that to your customers based on what they're already doing. And so then it also spans that data across the other teams. So sales is aware of kind of what's going on there in that conversation. Customer success is aware. And it's like my dream. It's not exactly what's happening across all of software today, but it's my dream that all these companies finally have more of these silos taken down and that there's just a better alignment across all of the teams. And I feel like data is one of the main things that can help with alignment across teams. Because if we're working off of the same data set, then we're at least on the same page (laughs) and we can kind of take it from there. Gosh, if I were like a human emoji, I would right now have the one that has the two stars in the eyes because (laughs) the marketing ops in me is fascinated by this right now. And I want to take it down so bad. But just quickly, Breezy, if you can give us one example of how this data kind of does the journey, right? From the data warehouse, does it go to HubSpot for customer email marketing? And then does it go to the CRM? Give us one example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few different ways that different companies are doing it. One of the ways I'll talk about is how correlated does it. I always feel like, I don't know why I just like feel bad as a marketer talking about it because I don't want this to feel pitchy. I just want it to feel like 
I'm actually just genuinely explaining the way something works and you can take it or leave it. So that's what we're going for here. So one of the ways that you could do this is if you were using correlated in conjunction with a data warehouse, or if you had something like segment to collect your product analytics and whatever your CRM and other platforms are. So basically correlated plugs into all of those different platforms. So wherever you're collecting your product usage data, your CRM, those are kind of like the data sources. And then also plugging into sort of downstream data pieces. So saying, okay, now that we've collected all of this data, we want to look at who's using our platform, what are they doing, who are the best users that we should be talking to. So we use like machine learning to look at who's actually purchased your platform in the past and looking at attributes of those people, how can we find more people that look like that within your data set and surface those folks to you? And then also plugging into those downstream pieces like I talked about. So data is one piece. Getting insights out of that data is sort of like the next step. And product-led companies will call these like product-qualified leads. So who are the people you should talk to are the product-qualified leads. Ooh. And then next step would be taking action off it because it doesn't matter if you know who to talk to if you don't understand how to talk to them or put that into action to actually have a conversation. So then we've done some integrations with Salesforce, HubSpot, Outreach, SalesLoft, Slack, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can go and kick off an immediate conversation with those folks. So that's sort of like one way to go about it. And that's if you want to have some more automation in there. I'd say also companies are using some tools like reverse ETL tools, it's called, to get data from the data warehouse and put it into your CRM or put it into other places. We also integrate with reverse ETL tools. So this isn't really like a competitive space for us. We're pretty good friends with all those folks as well. And so reverse ETL is a way to, what used to be ETL, (laughs) it's a funny term to call it reverse ETL, is getting that data out of the data warehouse into other places or it can use a product-led revenue platform like Correlated to kind of automate and take action off of those. Love that. Okay, and this is where I tell you we're going to send your finance team an invoice for this plug because this was not a free plug. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Breezy, now we're going to get to our end section where we're going to ask you to tell us what would you be doing if you weren't doing what you're doing today? And this also includes any other professional job that you've had. So if you were a teacher, you can't say teacher. So what would you be doing in an alternative universe? Okay. If I wasn't out there loving product-led growth so much, I would be in real estate, which I don't know, that might be a cheat answer because I do kind of already do real estate, (laughs) but I do like some real estate investing and I love fixing up houses. So we've been working on this lake house that needed everything from foundational work to like, we're still trying to get water to the house (laughs) and everything in between. So it would probably just be going full time deeper into real estate if I couldn't be in the SaaS space. That's awesome. How did you get into real estate? Was it product led growth? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's because I lived in a house when I was young. No, That's product led growth. <laughs> uh, no, I started studying it and got super fascinated. I think I listened to like every podcast out there, reading all the resources, everything that I could gobble up about personal finance and real estate. 
But this was years before I actually had any money at all to even make my first investment. And so I just spent years kind of learning all about it and then ended up building some investment spreadsheets. And I sold those online to help make money faster so that I could go and buy real estate. That was how it started. Wow, that is awesome and super interesting. Yeah, I, actually, yeah, <laughs> off topic, but not really. I follow this and I actually know her personally, this uh, woman who worked in healthcare and decided she wanted to start doing real estate financing. And she started this thing called Lady Landlords. And it's just for women that are in real estate trying to do this. She has a podcast and some really cool content. I'll actually tag you on her content. You'll find really interesting. But I love this about you. This is awesome. (laughs) You learned something new. I'll send you some pictures of the house on stilts. (laughs) Yeah, I would love that. Gianna, would you have guessed real estate? No, but I can totally see it now. And a lot of people are in real estate. You don't expect. Were you a Bigger Pockets fan? Yes, very big. I listened to their first probably 300 podcast episodes as they came out. And I think they have like thousands now. Yeah. Then pivoted into like a lifestyle brand, but talk about product led growth, right? Since they had a, (laughs) what was it up to three, three investment calculations per year or something. And then you had to buy their calculator. My own. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So Breezy, where can people find you if they want to reach out and learn more about product led growth? Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn. I post a lot there and I have a lot of conversations with folks there. So welcome to chat there. I occasionally on Twitter, I'm also in a bunch of different Slack communities. So anywhere you find me, I'm happy to have a conversation. Awesome. So we'll include those links in the show notes, including the link to the PLG market map that Breezy mentioned earlier. Ross is actually going to be on an upcoming episode. So everybody get excited about that, or he's going to go and dive into his cybersecurity product-led market map. And thank you, Breezy, for being on. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Really cool conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in in this episode. If you're interested in being on this podcast, reach out to us at podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com. And if you like this episode, make sure you give us a review, tell your friends, your family, your neighbor, and thank you for your support. Catch you next Wednesday.